together at the gospel table, how wonderful it is. I'd like us to open our Bibles back to the fourth chapter of the book of Acts. Uh, last time we were together, we tried to look at the contextual uh, aspects of this event that actually began in chapter 3 with the healing of the lame man at the gate called Beautiful. How, what a wonderful uh, illustration of the power and authority of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you would think everybody would be happy about it, but you know, uh, not everybody's happy when they see God doing the work. And as we know, when God uh, gives opportunity for the gospel to go forth and the church to expand, with that opportunity, Satan opens the door of opposition every time. So we come to the fourth chapter, and last time we tried to look at the anatomy of persecution. We tried to talk about the reason for that persecution, the response of the early church to persecution, and the obvious results of that persecution. After uh, Peter and John had been brought before the Sanhedrin court, after they had been judged by the very same people that judged Christ, very same people were only a few months past the crucifixion of Christ and his resurrection. We come to the close of this chapter uh, after they let them go. And tonight's study we're going to title Boldness in the Face of Persecution. Boldness in the Face of Persecution. Every Bible student that has ever done any word study uh, in the New Testament Greek uh, understand the word for bold or boldness is a word that actually means uh, confidence or courage. A courageous response to those that would oppose the gospel. And we're going to see that uh, hopefully in a bigger light uh, here tonight, but I want to back up to verse 23 uh, with you and read uh, through this chapter and then come back uh, with some commentary notes on it. In verse 23, and being let go, now this is referring to Peter and John being let go by the Sanhedrin, being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which hast made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, who by the mouth of thy servant David hast said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together, for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness, they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal 
and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken, where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul, neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them, and brought the prices of the things that were sold, and laid them down at the apostles' feet. And distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus, having land sold it, and brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. I, I, I would like to notice where this boldness comes from. If we back up to verse 8 in this same chapter, listen. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto the people, I believe that boldness is a byproduct of the filling of the Holy Spirit. Now, when he's talking about the filling of the Holy Spirit, he's not talking about regeneration. These individuals had already been regenerated. They had already been baptized, as it were, with the Holy Spirit. But what he's talking about is a filling at a particular point in time. And this is something that I believe we should be praying for, that God would fill us who are His by the new birth, who are His by covenant, that He would fill us with the Holy Spirit. Because that's what produces boldness. That's what produces courage in the face of opposition and persecution. It's interesting that you, this chapter seems to be thematic. It, it, it seems to be a theme in this chapter. Notice verse 31. We read this. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled. See that filling? Filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. So here's the filling of the Holy Spirit. There's another aspect to where this boldness came from, and it's found in verse 13. They spent time with Jesus. They spent time with Jesus. In verse 13, now when they saw the boldness, the boldness, of Peter and John, and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they, they marveled, and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. You see, they were reflecting the same character and the same conduct as Jesus Christ. And they, they reminded uh, these people of Christ when He had His earthly ministry. So, Filling of the Holy Spirit produces boldness. Individuals that spend a lot of time with Jesus will be bold in their faith. Thirdly, they prayed. In verse 29, 
And now the Lord behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that, that with all boldness they may speak thy word. This is their prayer. They're asking God for that courage and, and that confidence that they can stand in the very face of persecution and the lions of the world and, and stand firm in their faith and conviction uh, concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. And then I like to think about this in this chapter. The fourth thing that I see uh, produces the boldness that we're reading about is that uh, they relied on the Word of God. They relied on the Word of God. In uh, verse uh, 25, if you'll notice this, uh, I think some of you already picked up on this. They're quoting Psalm chapter 2. They're quoting the Word of God. In their praise and in their prayers, they're quoting the Word of God. And they're quoting uh, what David wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? Uh, a thousand years before Jesus came, uh, David wrote a messianic psalm that described this particular period of time when the heathen would be raging, when the opposition to truth would be uh, intense, when the fires of persecution would be billowing against the New Testament church. All of this, brothers and sisters, produced the boldness that you're reading about in your scriptures tonight. Now, let us go back to several thoughts. In verse 23 tonight, I want to notice, And being let go, they went to their own company. They went to the church. See, see, that's, that's where they have the greatest kinship. Now, now, of course, we have friends in the world, and we, we have affections uh, with kinfolk, and we um, have neighbors that we care about a great deal. But there's nothing compared to the spiritual bond that there is in the household of faith. There's nothing that, that excels it. And, and so Peter and John, instead of running to the newspapers... Instead of running uh, to this, or th this place or that place, they could have even gone back to fishing, but they didn't. They went to where they knew the church was assembled in prayer. And by the way, commentators, uh, I, I thought this was a great point by uh, Matthew Henry. Uh, Matthew Henry said that the church was evidently still meeting in the upper room where Jesus had uh, had the Last Supper with the, with, with the, the disciples they were actually using that as the first assembly place. Now, I thought that was a, a great point. If it, if it is true that we don't know that from the Scripture, but if it is, in fact, we, we can see how that Peter and John would be rushing to get to that place just to report and to tell people the great things that God had done for them. They went to their own company. And reported on uh, all that was said to them. Verse 24. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God. Now stop right there and, and think about this. Uh, we anticipate reading, well, they lifted up their voice and says, Oh, why me, Lord? Why am I suffering? After all, I'm doing everything you told me to do. 
Why am I struggling? Why am, why am I facing this opposition? Oh, they lifted up their voice and wept like the children of Israel did against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Oh, no. No, this is a spirit-filled people who have spent a lot of time with Jesus Christ, who pray and know the word of the living God and do not rely upon men, but rely upon the Lord Himself. They're lifting up their voice in praise. In praise. They lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, Thou art God. See, they're lifting up the Lord. And notice this one accord. Remember I told you in the beginning of our study, when you see that word, you're going to find it ten times in the book of Acts. Accord. Accord. And that word literally means one-minded. Homothumadon. Homothumadon. One-minded. One heart. They were unified. They were, they were one people offering praise to God with one voice. And what was that voice saying? Thou art God. Thou art God, you're in charge, which hast made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them is. In other words, we're acknowledging your power. We're acknowledging your providence. We're acknowledging your uh, 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 preeminence. Who, by the mouth of thy servant David, has said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine the vain things? I'll tell you why. It was because of God's providence. All of these events are being orchestrated in the providence of God. Known unto God are all His works from the beginning of the world. Acts chapter 14 verse 22. This is the God according to Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11 that works all things after the counsel of His own will. All things. There's nothing that occurs in the life of God's people that is not ordained. That is not... Uh, uh, that, is, that is not meant to happen to God's people. So watch this. The kings, uh, verse 26, the kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His Christ. Now I want you to see this for what, the beauty that it is. When they were standing up against Christ, they were standing up against His Father. Have you ever met somebody like uh, uh, Mormons or Jehovah Witnesses and you're talking to them about Jesus Christ and of course they believe, they claim to believe in Jesus Christ but they have a, they have a problem connecting Jesus Christ with the Father. They have a problem uh, acknowledging that Jesus Christ is as much God as the Father is God, if you'll notice that. Well, brothers and sisters, the Bible is plain and it says this, He that hath... Not the Son hath not the Father also. Those that reject the Son also reject the Father. And it's the same today as it was 2,000 years ago. And they're acknowledging that. You see, uh, uh, that's a powerful point in the gospel presentation. They were not, they were not trying to, uh, if you'll allow me to use a 50 cent word, syncretize. They... They were not uh, trying to combine Christianity with other Roman or Jewish religion, religious aspects. The gospel is pure. It stands on its own. And brothers and sisters, that's where boldness comes from. When you and I understand that there's no compromise to the truth of the gospel. The salvation that God the Father provided for His elect is only through Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is His Son. 
And Jesus Christ is God. And Jesus Christ is man. Oh, great is the mystery that God, of godliness, that God was manifest in the flesh. <laughs> it, it, it blows you away, you see. So here's the church, and they're in love with the Father, but they're also in love with the, the, His Son, Jesus Christ. They're not going to deny Christ. Remember the Sanhedrin court was saying to Peter and John, don't you dare teach in this name. You can teach whatever you want to, but you don't mention this name. I think I shared with you one time I had the privilege of, uh, well, several times I had the privilege of praying at the state legislature uh, opening service uh, in Texas. I had that great privilege as chaplain of the uh, uh, Central Texas Tea Party. But uh, the first time I went, the, the, the uh, majority leader came to me and he says, now, now Brother Harris, we, we, we know you're a Christian. Yes, yes, we do. And, but we have to be mindful that everybody here is not a Christian. So when you pray, you pray in the name of whoever you consider God to be. I said, it ain't going to happen. It's not going to happen. You get, I told him, <laughs> you get somebody else. I'll, I'll never offer a prayer like that. My Bible teaches me to uh, offer a prayer in the name of Jesus Christ. Yeah, but see, that name is so offensive to some people. Jesus, you can pray anything you want, but don't, don't use the name Jesus. Well, they were saying things like that to the early church. They were saying, you know, you can teach whatever you want to. Just don't mention Jesus. And don't mention His resurrection. And you can go along to get along in this old world. Hadn't changed much, has it? Hadn't changed much. Well, the early church had boldness. And they wouldn't deny the name of Jesus. I love this, verse 27, for of a truth uh, against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed. Now, now understand what he's saying. He, he, you know, he's quoting the Psalm uh, chapter 2. You can read that in your own time. But, but it's, a, it's a paraphrase of what David said in Psalm chapter 2. And he's talking to the Father. And he says, uh, Father, of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou, uh, the Father, hast anointed. Now that word anointed is where the word Christ comes from. Christos, the Messiah. See, this is an open acknowledgement that Christ Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah. See it? All right, now watch. Both Herod, now re we remember Herod, right? Herod and Pilate, you know, they were at odds with each other until it came to Christ. And the Bible clearly says they became friends in the trials of Christ. Not much has changed. The world is still that way. As long as it's against Christianity, it's okay. You know, we're all interested in... in uh, Toleration, we're all interested in America today. We're all interested uh, in getting along and acceptance and tolerance of everything you can think of except Christianity. No room for Christ. That's one reason I'm so thankful for the Speaker of the House, Mr. Johnson, boldly stating that he's a Christian first. In a Republican second. I appreciate that. Thank God for it. Well, here's Herod. 
And here's Pontius Pilate with that Roman power, with the Gentiles, uh, the, the Roman armies, and the people of Israel, the leaders of the, Ju the Jewish uh, leaders, were gathered together just like a bunch of hyenas, just like a bunch of wolves. They're gathered together. Now what are they going to do? What are they going to do? Are they going to do what they want to do? I believe, they, I believe they're going to do what they want to do. But the question is, why do they want to do it? Because of this verse, 28. For to do whatsoever thy hand, this is the Father, and thy counsel determined before to be done. The word determined there is proridzo that is translated in other places predestined to be de determined beforehand. They could only do what God's power and providence allowed and no further. Now, I don't know about you, but that gives me a great deal of comfort. I know that we wrestle with the devil every day. And the devil's got a, a chain. It's a long chain, but he's got a chain. And the one that holds that chain is the Lord. I think that's what Job learned. Job learned that the devil was checked by the power of God, even in the midst of his struggle. So here it is, God. Amen. That's it. Yeah, amen, brother. Uh, amen, amen. You, 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 you got it. I'm glad you're listening, <laughs> brother pastor. I'm glad you're listening. God is the supreme historian, having written all history before it began. History is his story. His counsel, his purposes cannot be overthrown. And now, verse 29, and now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness we may speak thy word. Um, we're not looking for a place to hide. Help us to have boldness to speak every opportunity we have to speak the truth into the culture. Speak the truth into the lives of others that God providentially brings our way. And brothers and sisters, He'll bring people to you so that you can be the vehicle, the, the, the means by which truth is imparted to that individual. Don't think that that's just the preacher's job. That's not just the preacher's job. That's every Christian's job. By stretching forth thine hand to heal. I, I, this is so powerful to me. By stretching forth thine hand to heal, that, and that signs and wonders may be done by thy, the name of thy holy child Jesus. Now remember, this is a prayer unto the Father, right? So signs and wonders are going to be done in His great and wonderful name. The great consolation of the church has always been founded upon the proper view of God and our relationship with Him. 
See, if that vertical relationship with God is as it ought to be, the horizontal relationships that we have with individuals will be affected. It'll be affected. I'm talking about our homes. I'm talking about our marriages. I'm talking about our next door neighbors. I'm talking about our uh, fellow employees or employers. Every relationship is impacted by that, that Christian view. Uh, okay. Uh, can I? Well, I better. I'm running out of time too quick here. Verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. Brothers and sisters, I'll tell you what, when the Lord comes into the house, there's a whole lot of shaking going on. And, and I believe that there, there's uh, internal shaking of the heart. But I believe what was happening here, there was an external shaking going on that testified to the power, the dynamite uh, that was involved with the Holy Spirit. It's just like in Acts chapter 16 when the earth shook and the, the, um, the chains fell off of the arms of Paul and Silas. Remember, it shook, as it were. Well, there's a shaking going on here in this context, and it's in the church. And it may be in that upper room itself. They were, uh, it was a shaking uh, where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and spake the word of God with boldness. Now, I want you to notice the all. See, it wasn't just the apostles. Somebody says, well, I believe, the, you know, I believe in the Great Commission that it was given to the apostles and them alone, and they're the ones that had the authority, and they're the ones that have the gift uh, to take the gospel into all the world. But I want you to notice the all here. It's not just the apostles that are talking about the Word of God. It's not just the apostles that are studying the Word of God. It's not just the apostles that are believing the Word of God. In fact, what's interesting to me is that when the great persecution begins, as we chronicle in Acts chapter 7 and 8, in chapter 8 and verse 4, it's so interesting to me that the apostles stayed in Jerusalem and the church was dispersed throughout the Roman world. And what were they carrying? The Word of God. The truth. That's what they were doing. And they were going and telling people how great things the Lord has done for them. Don't you have a story like that? Can't you tell, tell people how the Lord dealt with you uh, when you were separated from Him and you came under condemnation and you were a lot like Adam and Eve that found in sin and, and tried to hide from God, but it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Those fig leaves dry up. And, and by the way, they itch. I don't know if you've ever picked okra, but the resin that's in okra is the same resin that's in fig leaves. So you can imagine them putting all those fig leaves and those okra plants all over them pretty soon. Can you imagine? Red whelps everywhere. Jacob, that was a joke. I, you know. Now, let's get it. All they were filled with the Holy Ghost, and all of them spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them believed. Now, we're going to see some points here. And if you're taking notes, 
I want you to see the beauty of primitive Christianity, the early church, the way it was in the first century. By the grace of God. We're, we're noticing there was a special unity among them, right? Um, primitive, the primitive pattern here of true Christianity is a koinonia, koinonia fellowship. It's a selfless love. Remember what Jesus said in John chapter 13, verse 35. He said, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that ye have love one to another. That's what you're reading about here in this verse 32. They were of one heart and one soul, one accord, one heart, one soul. Neither said they any of them they had aught. Uh, of the things that they possessed were their own, but they had all things common. Somebody says, aha, there's Marx, the Marxism. That, that, there is communism right there. That's the pattern. It's not. It's not. When they were willing to sell their property and give it to the church, they brought it to the apostles' feet for distribution. There wasn't a law making them do that. There wasn't a government saying, if you don't do that, we're going to put you in jail. That's Marxism. Marxism forces people to give what they've earned to people that didn't. That's Marxism. Socialism. That's where our leaders today want us to go. And it's shameful. And they'll go back to verses like this. And say, see, the early church was that way. But I want you to understand something. Not everybody in the early church gave to the same extent. Because I find later where the church met, uh, went from house to house. I, I, I find later where uh, there was ministry done, ministry needs done out of different places and different people. Uh, and had they all given everything they had uh, to the poor or to the apostles, none of them would have anything to distribute themselves. So it's not Marxism. We're not talking about communism here. We're talking about a spiritual fellowship that we have one with another. If we see a brother in need or a sister in need, if, we, if it's in our power or ability to meet that need, we ought to do it in the name of Jesus. Not because there's a law or a penalty for not doing it, but because we love Christ. Hmm. So here's your primitive pattern. Number one, they had koinonia, a fellowship of selfless love and sanctifying unity. Isn't that what Jesus prayed in John chapter 17, verse 21? He prayed that, they might be one even as we are one. They might experience horizontally what we experience vertically. That's the pattern, brothers and sisters. Number two, point number two. I'm, I've got to be quick about this. I've only got five minutes. Number two, fearless preaching of truths refused by men. The resurrection of Jesus Christ was always emphasized. Always. You cannot preach the true gospel of Jesus Christ without referring to His resurrected glory. 
See, that's the truth. And see, those are the points, those are the very things that uh, cults and uh, false religions deny. They deny re the resurrection of Christ. Even the Muslims who believe in the virgin birth of Christ denies resurrection. Did you know that? They deny his resurrection. They said, oh, no, he didn't. He didn't. He, in fact, they denied that he died on the cross. They believed that he kind of fainted and was put in a tomb and then kind of snuck out. They do. Brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ died on the cross, was buried in the tomb, and after three days and nights, he rose again. There's the foundation of the Christian gospel. And they were unafraid to proclaim its message. So that's number two, fearless preaching. Number three, point number three, they had grace. A great grace was upon them, right? Great grace was upon them. They had favor both before, uh, both before men and God. Point number four, they were unselfish in their sharing of material goods. They, they were unselfish. They were not self-centered or self-serving. They were unselfish. If they saw a need and had the ability to meet that need, they gladly uh, imparted that to them. 1 John chapter 3, verse 17. If, if a brother shuts up his bowels of mercy toward a brother in need, how can the love of God dwell in him? You see that? So this was characteristic, characteristic of the early church. You know, there was a Roman named Tacitus, a historian, that commented about how the Christians loved each other. Did you know that? <laughs> he said, it's the strangest thing we've ever seen. When, when a disease came into the city of Rome and most of the Roman elite left the city, only the poor uh, people were in the city dying every day of disease. Uh, it, was, uh, it was like the Black Plague. Guess who stayed in the city to minister to the sick? It was the Christians. They're the ones that took the babies that were abandoned. It was the Christians. Christianos is what they called them. And they said, it's so strange how they love one another. And lastly, lastly, fifth point, God raised up mighty ministers among them, like Barnabas. We're going to hear from Barnabas again. Barnabas is going to be a great minister of the gospel. He's going to be a companion of the Apostle Paul. He's going to be a servant in the church at Antioch. He's going to give us a great uh, uh, individual study on what true Christianity is about. Remember, brothers and sisters, it was Barnabas that went and found a young preacher named Saul that everybody gave up on, everybody threw away, everybody was afraid of. Don't touch that fellow. Barnabas says, no. No, let's go get him. God's got to work for him. All right, w one last thought. The boldness that we should be praying for is not so we can, and I want to be clear, and I don't want to offend anybody, 
the boldness that we have is not to further the primitive Baptist name. I made that mistake the first 20 years I, I tried to preach. I was more interested in, in, in spreading the name of the primitive Baptist than I was the name of Christ. And God gave me a whooping for it. But since that time, I've tried my best to share the wonder and the glory of Jesus Christ. And, and, and when I'm talking about boldness, I'm not talking about belligerence. I'm not talking about beating somebody over the head with knowledge that you have and they don't. I'm not, try, I'm not talking about being a mean-spirited Pharisee. I'm talking about in a spirit of love and kindness and gentleness, sharing the truth of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and His call to individuals like you and me to follow Him. God bless you. Thank you for your good attention. Yes, sir. All right, let's stand and uh, be dismissed by...